morning, we have come to the conclusion of our sermon series titled, In Christ. And as we consider the last four verses of Ephesians, it is still important to keep in mind that this epistle is categorized or organized into two parts. Part one is chapters one through three, which highlight the indicatives of the gospel, all that God has done for us on our behalf in Christ, giving us the gift of salvation. In summary, the first three chapters are about the gospel. Part two consists of chapters four through six, which is a series of imperatives of how we are to live life as Christians united to Jesus by grace through faith. In summary, part two is about the law. Since the beginning of chapter four, I have highlighted St. Paul's emphasis on living the new life in Christ. And this has been noted by his exhortations to put off and put on. So putting off sin by obeying the prohibition of God's laws and putting on by acting in accordance with the commands of God's law. And with this, as God's covenant people united to Christ by grace through faith, the Apostle Paul has exhorted the Ephesians, and again, as well as you and me, as we are in the covenant of God's people, he's exhorted all of us, all Christians at all times and places, to walk in a certain manner. We are to walk in good works that were prepared for us. We are to walk in love, void of selfish ambition and unbridled lust. We are to walk in the light, abstaining from evil deeds and exposing the sin of our own hearts and the sin of the culture. We are to walk in wisdom, without folly, exercising discernment, being filled with the Spirit, expressing thanksgiving, and exhibiting humility. These ideas of putting off and putting on, along with walking in a manner worthy of our calling, summarize St. Paul's theology of living life in Christ, living out the imperatives that he gives us in chapters 4 through 6. And so this morning's text is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24, which captures the concluding thoughts of the Apostle Paul. And I believe this to be both beautiful and masterful. I, I believe his, his conclusion is beautiful and masterful, and I pray that you will experience these final verses in that very way. I've organized my sermon into two points. Point number one is instructions for Tychicus, and number two is Paul's benediction. So if you have your Bible with you, Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. I'm going to read our text and then pray. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace 
be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Would you bow your head with me? Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate your holy word. Help us to rightly understand Paul's closing words and exhortations. And then help us to believe and practice these things here at All Saints Church. I pray this by the power of the Spirit and in the name of your Son. Amen. So let's begin with point number one. Let's consider the instructions that Paul gives to Tychicus. Look again at verses 21 and 22. Paul says this, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Along with delivering the physical epistle, to the elders and pastors in Ephesus, Tychicus was also given two additional tasks from the Apostle Paul. First, when he was present with the assembled believers in Ephesus, he was to report on how Paul was doing and what he was doing. Second, he was to encourage the hearts of the Ephesians with the news of the Apostle Paul's circumstances and ministry. Paul's descriptions of Tychicus as a beloved brother and faithful minister inform us that he was a devout deacon serving in the first century church. And I say deacon because the word that is translated as minister in English is the Greek word diakonos, meaning deacon. And so in the original Paul says, Tychicus is a faithful deacon. And not only from Paul's words do we know that he was faithful, but the fact that we have the epistle today indicates that he was successful in his mission to deliver the letter. And while we know very little about Tychicus, this knowledge of his ministry and his life should still cause us to consider a couple of things. So first, as St. Paul was grateful for the faithful work of Tychicus as a deacon, you and I should also express gratitude for the faithful men who minister in that office here at All Saints Church. When we consider the Apostle Paul's prolific ministry, we tend to forget about all the deacons who served with him. Men who served the Lord by engaging in the practical logistics so that the gospel could be preached and God's people cared for. In the immediate context, St. Paul is the one who did the theological work of writing this epistle, but without the practical work of Tychicus, this theological instruction would never have reached the Ephesians. Traveling on foot, Caesarea in Judea, which is where Paul was writing in prison at the time of the uh, writing of uh, Ephesians, Caesarea to Ephesus is approximately 1,100 miles. 
To put that into perspective, that's the equivalent of traveling from Lancaster, Pennsylvania to Omaha, Nebraska on foot. And of course, if Tychicus traveled by ship, which is probably the way he traveled, the journey would have been shorter, but he would have had to brave the perils of the Mediterranean Sea. So in either scenario, if he traveled by ship or by foot, the work of delivering the letter was both hard and essential for the flourishing of Christianity for really over the past 1,960 years since the letter was written and delivered. And just think about how many Christians have read, studied, and preached the book of Ephesians. Imagine what church history would look like had Tychicus not delivered the letter. And so with all that being said, I am personally grateful for the labor of Don Graves, Dave Miller, Paul Nepley, Joseph Hipschman, and Ivan Hewer. All the logistical and practical work that they do here at All Saints Church is noteworthy. And like Paul said of Tychicus, I am blessed to labor alongside these men and call them brothers. So that's the first thing that we can glean from what we know about Tychicus. There's a real sense in which we should express appreciation and gratitude for all those who serve well in the office of deacon, just like the Apostle Paul did here. The second thing that we should consider from our limited knowledge of Tychicus is our very own commitment to faithfulness. Like Tychicus, we should aim to be faithful, not for the sake of our own glory, but the glory of the one who has called us and for the good of those whom we are serving. One thing to always keep in mind when considering calling is that we as believers who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we are maturing in our faith. Our gifts and our skills develop, and with that, our callings advance and our responsibilities change. So for some of you in this room, in this season of life, you are a child and a student. For you, faithfulness in your calling looks like honoring your father and mother and working diligently in your studies. Some of you older students, as your character and your skills have matured, you are on the verge of advancing in your calling, advancing into adulthood, and you will soon have additional responsibilities. And most likely those responsibilities will look like being a husband, being a wife, and then a father or a mother. And with that, there is an important biblical principle at play. If you are faithful with a little, then you will be faithful with much. But if you are slack with the little responsibility you have now, then you will be even more negligent with greater responsibility later. In my prior profession, I worked for a publicly traded company as an operations manager overseeing multiple manufacturing facilities in the Mid-Atlantic. And during my career, I had the responsibility of hiring and firing employees. And I can't count how many times I saw this biblical principle play out. 
If someone was undisciplined and disorderly in their private life, this would always spill out into their professional life, which would more than likely result in their termination. So, young men, if you are not faithful with the schoolwork in front of you now, do not expect to be faithful in your vocation later. If you are constantly turning in late or incomplete assignments, then one day you will do the same thing to your future boss, and this will more than likely end in your firing, which will not serve the people you are responsible for, namely your wife and children. Likewise, if you don't manage your personal finances now, don't expect to manage your household's money later. And young ladies, if you are disrespectful or disobedient to your father now, then you will have a hard time submitting to and obeying your future spouse later. And in the same way, if you keep a messy and untidy bedroom now, then don't expect to keep a clean and organized home later. What you are faithful with now will bear fruit later. If you're faithful with little now, you will be faithful with much later. But if you are slack now, you will be slack later. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that people can't change, and if you are one way today, you will always be that way forever. That line of thinking is antithetical to the gospel. Furthermore, I am not saying that you can't move from weakness to strength, or folly to wisdom, or ignorance to understanding. What I am saying is this. Without repentance, without a change in direction or transformation of behavior, don't expect a different outcome than the one you are currently experiencing now. With that being said, everyone here at All Saints Church should desire to be faithful in their calling, just as Tychicus was in his. All of us should strive to be faithful spouses, faithful parents, faithful homemakers, faithful pastors, faithful school teachers, farmers, mechanics, doctors, business owners, salesmen, managers, and laborers. And not for our own glory, but for the glory of the one who called us and for the good of those whom we serve. The Apostle Paul entrusted Tychicus with the great responsibility of delivering the epistle because he was a faithful deacon. So then, let each of us be faithful in our calling as Tychicus was in his. With that, like St. Paul, let us also demonstrate our own appreciation for the deacons serving here at All Saints Church. Point number two, the Apostles' benediction. Look again at verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. As a conclusion to his letter, the Apostle Paul offers a benediction with four 
components. Peace, love, faith, and grace. These are not only desired blessings for the Ephesians, but they are also four subjects that relate to what St. Paul has communicated in his epistle. In other words, these are not just nice qualities that Paul desires for the Ephesians, but rather they are four elements explicitly expressed by the Apostle Paul throughout his letter. And so listed first is peace. The Apostle Paul addresses the topic of peace seven times in this epistle. In chapter 2, he stated that peace with God is an indicative of the gospel. Jesus Christ reconciled us to God by his vicarious and substitutionary atoning death on the cross and subsequent resurrection. Therefore, we now have peace with God. And not only is that true, but in the same chapter, St. Paul states that as a result of having peace with God, you and I now have peace with one another. And thus he stated the following, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments that's expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Peace is an indicative of the gospel. It is a result of Christ's work on the cross for us. But it is also something that we are called to walk in. In other words, peace is ours. It's a possession forensically. As a consequence of our justification, we have peace. But it is experienced practically in our sanctification. And so in chapter 4, St. Paul gave the following imperative. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Irrefutably, we have peace in Christ. But we are to functionally live in this reality by making peace, seeking peace, and maintaining peace with one another. And this is Paul's desire for the Ephesians, to know and experience peace with God and with one another. The second component of the benediction is love. In the book of Ephesians, St. Paul references love 15 times. Like peace, love is an indicative of the gospel that we have received. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said the following, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. St. Paul says that we have received love from the Father. 
demonstrated in the life and work of Christ. And because God has loved us, we are to love one another. And this imperative is to be obeyed in the church and the home. So in chapter 4, as members of one another in the church, we were told to bear with one another in love, speak the truth in love, and be built up in love. Then in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul spoke directly to husbands and said, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He continued by saying, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then he added, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, you and I have received love as an indicative of the gospel. It's been demonstrated. We've experienced it. We know what it means and what it looks like to be loved in Christ. Therefore, we are also given the imperative to love one another. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, St. Paul summarized both the indicative and the imperative together in just one, word, in one verse. He said this, Walk in love, that's the imperative, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the indicative. You and I are to sacrificially love one another in the church and in the home as Christ sacrificially loved us. And this is the blessing that St. Paul is wanting for the Ephesians. He wants them to know that they have the love of God directed toward them. That God has extended love to them through the life and work of Christ. But he also wants them to walk experientially, practically, and functionally in love, loving one another. The third element of his benediction is faith. Eight times the Apostle Paul speaks of faith in this epistle. In chapter 2, St. Paul explained that faith is a gift from God. It is a consequence of God's grace. It, too, is an indicative of the gospel. Therefore, we are not saved by our own righteousness or our own works, but instead we are saved solely by the grace of God, who makes us alive and then gives us faith to believe in Christ for our justification. Thus, the Apostle Paul said the following, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In chapter 6, faith is also something that we are commanded to exercise. It's an imperative. Therefore, the Apostle Paul commands that the shield of faith be taken up. And the faith we are to exercise daily is a belief and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, on the cross for us. And it is also an everyday trust in the sovereignty and goodness of God, a daily belief in God's promises and his faithfulness. The blessing of faith that Paul seeks to bestow here is a daily trust in God and not in oneself. 
What Paul wants for the Ephesians is that they would have faith, saving faith, that is the gift of God, but that they would also walk in faith experientially, practically, functionally, on a daily basis, believing God and trusting him. The fourth and final element of his benediction is grace. Grace is mentioned 12 times by the Apostle Paul in this letter. In chapters 1 through 3, St. Paul expounded upon the truth that we have been saved, redeemed, forgiven, adopted, and justified by God's grace alone. And so he said this, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And he continued by saying, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace is, without a doubt, an indicative of the gospel. It is something that we have received from God as a result of God's work and not our own work. But... Grace is also commanded as an imperative in chapter 4. The apostle said the following, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You and I have been forgiven by grace. Therefore, we are commanded to demonstrate grace and forgive those who have sinned against us in the same way that we have been forgiven by God. Because we have received grace, you and I are to give grace, extend grace, and demonstrate grace. This is what Paul once bestowed upon the Ephesians. He wants them to experience and know that they have the grace of God at work in them, that God was not owing us anything, and he didn't owe the Ephesians anything, but in grace he saved them. He wants them to realize that, lay hold of that, but he also wants the Ephesians to live in the reality of grace as an imperative showing grace to one another. These are the four elements of St. Paul's benediction. Peace, love, faith, and grace. And I hope you can see that the, uh, that the Apostle Paul wanted the very things that he taught to be granted to the Ephesians, but also practiced among them. And brothers and sisters, not only do I want you to understand St. Paul's beautiful and masterful ending here in his epistle. I think it's absolutely a mastery of work in the, in the way in which he summarizes his epistle in this benediction. Not only do I want you to see that and understand that, but more importantly, I want you to know that these blessings that the Apostle Paul wanted for the Ephesians are what the session of All Saints Church desires for you. Our hope is that everyone in this church, ourselves included, would know and experience the indicatives of the gospel. When we sat down to 
look at our preaching calendar and consider what would be preached, the gospel and an understanding of the gospel was in scope. Our desire is that all of us here would understand that we were sinners deserving of God's wrath, but God in his mercy justified us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Our desire is that everyone would know that and believe that and experience the reality of that. Furthermore, our desire is for everyone to obey the imperatives of the Apostle Paul. Again, ourselves included. We want everybody to know the indicatives, both intellectually and experientially. But we also want everybody to obey the imperatives. Because we have peace with God, our prayer is that you would not be divisive, factious, or sectarian. Instead, our appeal is that you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Likewise, we personally know the love of God, demonstrated by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Therefore, our prayer for you, and for, again, ourselves, is that we would not be self-centered, self-loving, and self-involved. In contrast, our prayer is that we would sacrificially walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the same fashion, as we have received faith from God, our desire is that you would daily exercise faith in God. Not only receive faith from him, but exercise faith in him. Instead of trusting in your own abilities, your own accomplishments, your own assets, our prayer is that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And finally, just as we have received forgiveness by grace... Our desire is that you would not be bitter, resentful, and unforgiving of one another. Instead, our desire is that you would be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Dear saints, it has been a joy to walk through the book of Ephesians with you week after week. And my prayer is that you would know the indicatives of the gospel, that you would believe them, that you would know them intellectually, and that you would experience them, that Christ would be yours by faith. And I pray that you would see the imperatives of the Apostle Paul as the law of God come to us by the Apostle's pen, that you would see it as a good thing, as the law of God reviving the soul, the law of God as a means for you to worship God, as a means of you to love one another, and ultimately as a means of finding your own personal joy. In the name of the Father, 
and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you bow your head with me as we bring our petitions to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we come to you as children. We ask that by the power of the Spirit, you would bring these things to both the head and the heart. That we would know these things to be true, we would be able to articulate them, but we pray that we would experience these things, that we would know the gospel and we would know the law and obey the law. I pray, Father, that you would build up your church, All Saints Church, in these things. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. prayers. 